I am going to do the intro now. Have you got it all out of your system? <laughs> you haven't, have you? <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> right. Electronic Wireless Show. It's the 15th of August. I am your host, Philippa War, back from my ridiculous cold. Uh, and joining me today are Adam Smith. Hello. And Alice O'Connor. Hello. Alice, as you may recall from her previous appearance on this very podcast, is our lovely news editor. So she is very of the moment. I thought you were going to say lives in a cave. Well, I that mean, that's, uh, they can work that out from your echo. Self-evident, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cave, cellar, I don't know, you know, it's cavernous and dank, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> cellar door. <sighs> right. <laughs> well, how are you both? I'm good. Uh, yeah, I wasn't here last week, but that's because I was on a holiday rather than ill. But, How was uh, that? Did you leave the house? What What happened? I, I didn't go on holiday. I mean, I was on holiday away from work, but I just sat around the house, really, and, yeah, watched football, drank beer. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, tried not to go on the internet at all. It was great. Mm. Holiday wow. from the internet. That's the thing. That's where I need to take my holidays from. I, most holidays, I just try and get out of Wi-Fi range, and then everything's good. I think, to use the parlance of our times, you had both a digital detox and a staycation. It did that. That doesn't feel like what I what I did at all. But yeah, that might be. Yeah. <laughs> so I could be your branding consultant. <laughs> it's like digital de- uh, digital detox meets space retox. <laughs> I don't think he meets space retoxed because he's he's in the same general environment. He's in the same biome yeah, that he I, usually yeah, is. I definitely hadn't moved very much. Adam, are you always drunk? I, not right now, um, but whenever I've got free time, I'm at least tipsy. Okay, just establishing the baseline, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, if I'm fully sober, it's quite distressing for me. Um <laughs> But you know, if this I was feels like it's constantly an intervention. drunk, no, no, this is fine. This, this is all positive. This is you and Brendan never ask me these questions about myself. I feel like well, this is no. good. Yeah. Uh, having said this, is a family-friendly podcast. We're now sort of <laughs> tiptoeing into realms that perhaps aren't, even though. No, I'm a very family-friendly really drunk. Them. It's fine. You can't. You, you yeah, you can't bleep out my life. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fine. Anyway, but you're also away next week, are you not? Yeah. Which leads us into our topic of conversation, which is Gamescom. Yeah, because <gasps> next week I'm actually away for work, doing proper work things. Um, mm. Yeah, so Gamescom is, for those who don't know, is a consumer uh, gaming show um, in Cologne over in Germany and it's kind of like the E3 of Europe in some ways in that all the big publishers will be there lots of indies will be there they're all showing off what they've got coming up or what they've uh, they've got to announce um, but it's much more pleasant than E3 I've always found uh, it's much easier to cover it's a, the, the show's a lot bigger um, E3 feels like it is the biggest when I hear people talk about it but uh, I think that's just because it's in America but Gamescom is like logistically is is much bigger um, and but at the same time yeah it feels much more laid back but I think that's partly again because of the cities in Cologne's a much easier city than Los Angeles to get around and to work in um, doesn't it spread out a bit like because there's a um, there's a more business to business bit beforehand, yeah, like so seminars and talks and things. Because this year was the first year that E3 had been open to the public, you know, supposedly, so they had it was a consumer show as well. Gamescom's always been a consumer show, but it has uh, like a pre-show which is lots of talks and um, a bit more like a GDC type of thing where developers meet and talk to each other. Uh, and then Gamescom itself has one day at the beginning which is just a press day. Um, mm. So they don't let the uh, public in until uh, day two, um, uh, but it's also completely separate. Like you, you don't need to leave the press area at all. Um, whereas in e- at E three, you tend to be down um, on the actual booths on the big show floor. So when when people see game shows, I don't know if this is true, but before I'd ever been to one, my image of them was always these huge, expensive looking booths that were really loud with massive queues and uh, just. Very, very, kind of like a theme park, you know, just snakes of queues going around in a big hall and um, some big glitzy booth. Uh, and at Gamescom, they have all that, but I never see it because I'm just in little white cubicles talking to developers, which is much nicer because uh, you can actually <laughs> have a conversation. Um, so, yeah, I've, I'll be out there with Brendan. Um, and, yeah, we've we've got lots and lots to see. Some of- are you going to tell him about the press room? No, no. Gonna- <laughs> no, because basically I'm delegating, so anything that I don't want to do, Brendan has to do. This is this is how it started off. Like When I first joined RPS, my first ever Gamescom was with uh, Jim Rossignol, now of Big Robot, who was then my editor mm. and boss. And, um, and he gave me all the jobs that he didn't want. So <laughs> it was like I had to go and talk to... Every publisher who was slightly miffed at us that year, there's always one or two, I had to go and talk to all the little indie devs who might be making something amazing, but it might also be completely boring or terrible. Um, and, and there were, it was about, you know, 10 appointments a day. And now that I'm in charge, well, well, you'll hear, you know, in a couple of weeks time, we'll talk with Brendan on the podcast about what he got to see and it'll be, it'll be great. <laughs> I just don't think you're ruthless enough. I think that even though you've sort of said, and now I'm in charge, the dot, dot, dot means that you've actually scheduled yourself in for all of those same appointments and you've got like a million appointments in one day well, and you haven't delegated anything to Brendan. What I've <laughs> done is I've made sure that he sees every single collectible card game type hybrid thing. 
because oh, he loves that's those. his thing now. That's what he does. So yeah. you know, he must got... be so pleased about the Valve one, the Dota card game. Wait, is that a thing? Is that a real thing? They announced it over the course of yeah, yeah. They announced it over the course of the international. Like they haven't really got anything to show for it. They just did one of those teaser trailers, which is essentially a logo right. that was oh, what's like it called? for what's a it game called? called Artifact that then like had the the sub heading of a Dota card game or a Dota 2 card game and like the the reaction in the audience was magnificently underwhelmed I would say but oh. also when I was watching the um the logo of it unfold on the screen I was you know going is that not the arc logo like it was you know these three like a a red a blue and a green like Blob, yeah, yeah, you know, like a block that sort of came together into a triangle, but then, you know, morphed into the logo of the thing. But I, w- you know, I found that a bit distracting because even though it obviously wasn't, I was like, "Hang on, what logo does that remind me of?" I, I, um, I yeah. hope it's actually nothing like Hearthstone or anything, and it is just poker. It's just like Dota poker. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Dota poker. Dota, Dota poker. Yeah, and it's just. Literally the rules of poker, but the cards just have Dota carrots on the back. Well, didn't Day 9 say something like it was basically... It seemed to be like playing Dota, but as a card game. So not like playing a card game and not like playing Dota, but like playing both of them. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of attempting going at least from what he said, which is wildly... I don't know. Uh... kind of attempting to recreate the three lane experience and team pushes and waves of creeps and I think that we should start talking about card games because Brendan's not even here so why would we do this to ourselves oh that's true he's not here here. for like the benefit of his experience and wisdom and passion for the entire genre in fact no I'm not even going to say it I was going to try and say something salient and intelligent about card I don't know anything about them I've played loads of Gwent but I don't know anything about it (laughs) <laughs> I really don't. That's quite a feat. I know, yeah. There's a lot of things like that in my life. I don't know what this is. Uh, I can tell you that you have to explain that it's based on an existing real world card game and people get very angry if you don't mention yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I can never remember the name of it, but... Is it Condottiore? Uh, that's it, yeah. Hang on. It's something like Condotio- that. That's the one. I mean, I don't know. I can't, yeah, that yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I. But so to go back to Gamescom, like why do we go? I I was obviously <laughs> I I theoretically know the answer to that, but I thought that perhaps people who don't work in the industry might be curious as to why go to these things yes. that are sort of so busy well, and so like artificial and games comes very very pc focused because uh compared to e3 and that's partly just a european thing there's uh you know like at e3 you're gonna see um uh the big stands for things like this year it was call of duty uh shadow of mordor 
Um, you know, Total War had a big stand, which, you know, is a little bit more of a PC game anyway, but I mean, it is a PC game, but it's a very For PC game. For a moment, PC- I didn't realise you were talking about two games, sorry, and I was just then suddenly imagining Call of Duty Shadow of Mordor, like, as <laughs> that was the, it's that coming. was the iteration this year. It'll happen. And like, so I just, sorry to interrupt, but I just had that absolute blind panic of, oh god, I think I wrote that it was World War Two in the last <laughs> thing I wrote about it. So, have I, have I I like the Panzer tanks and our sexy ladies, which is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they were actually evil spirits that could manifest as Panzer tanks, but they're now choosing to engage with people as ducks. You know, it still takes whatever form you want to give it, so it's fine. It's it works within the law of World War Two. So, so that's why I'm going to Gamescom. Sorry, yeah, like to just actually throw no, it back so, to what so, you were talking about. Um, <laughs> Do World of Tanks uh, have like a metal tank lady that you can sit atop outside? I know they used to have it like rest years ago, they would turn up with. <laughs> um, the, the, the stuff that World of Tanks have at their parties is not, not good to talk about, so we'll, we'll move on from that. Not that wow, I've, not, this is something I know nothing not that about. I've this ever sounds been fantastic. To one. Not that I've ever been. Are you I sending Brendan to one? Oh God! If, if only. I don't think I, I. don't think I can delegate his social life for him. I don't think I'm allowed to do that. You say that, but you haven't tried. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, so it's got a very strong PC focus. Uh, so. What I was building up to is saying that every year there's a big farming simulator booth and it's as big as a Call of Duty one. And, um, which, you know, tells you a lot about what games are actually selling there. And there's a lot of box game stuff because it's Germany as well. It's, um, still big there. But, um, but for us, it's, it's, it's a really good time of the year because a lot of the, uh, big publishers have done their big announcements at E3. What that means is that some of the indies will avoid making big announcements around E3, but Gamescom, they'll often follow up there. So they'll either announce between E3 and Gamescom and then have something to show at Gamescom that we can either play or that we can talk about in more depth, or they'll announce right before Gamescom. There will be a few announcements um, happening. Uh, it's a good place for indies in like um, kind of mid-tier publishers. Uh, and then with the big publishers, uh, the stuff they announced at E3 might well be playable. Uh, by the time Gamescom comes around. Because the strange thing about E3 is that for all the, the buzz around it, there's not many games actually being played there. Um, mm. There's a lot more at Gamescom because because uh, they've done the first um, kind of cycle of uh, marketing by that point. So now it's like, okay, maybe we should let people get their hands on it. So some of the games that we uh, talked about the announcements for E3, and I can't name specifics, but there are a few that we will be playing next week. Um, and a few of the ones that there's always the ones at E3 where you think, well, this is fine, but you've shown a trailer and nothing else. Gamescom is the time when they'll show more than the trailer, and hopefully, we'll either be playing those games or having good conversations about them. So, um, mm. yeah, and you know, it's it, I can't say too much about what we're playing because all of it's under embargo, well, under NDA until we actually go and play it, but. Uh, there's a lot of really good stuff this year, um, and it's big stuff. I mean, uh, you, you never. It is difficult with um, seeing indie games because unless you know the developers, which usually means they've already released a game. At which point, there are known quantities. Some like Tacoma that came out the other week. Um, we know roughly uh, that Tacoma is going to be 
a certain type of game and it's probably going to be of a certain quality. With When I go to Gamescom, I like to try and see developers who I've never really heard of because there's so many people there. And even if you just see them for five minutes, ten minutes, and just get to look at what they're making, uh, then every now and then you get you just see something that you're just blown away by. Um, so so as long as well as doing all these very um, organized appointments, I always I always leave maybe a couple of hours in the afternoon just to walk around the uh, business area and just look at things and just talk to people because yeah, there's just so much there. I mean, it is there's hundreds of games there. It's not it's not a handful. It's hundreds of things. Is there anything that you can talk about that you're specifically looking forward to, or that's going to be? one of those things that we're really glad we can actually tell people what it's like uh, that's been anticipated. So, uh, specifically looking at the things that were at E3, um, so Evil Within 2, we actually get to see, because I'm really excited about that game, but Mm. uh, um, E3 was literally his, not only a trailer, but pretty much a CGI trailer that doesn't show you very much of the game, with a sad song behind it, and it's like, well... You know, you kind of had me because I like the first one, but you're losing me already because this is the most boring way to market a game ever. Um, mm. So we will actually get to see that properly, uh, which is nice. Cause it's out really soon as well. It's out like it's this. It's beginning of October, yeah, isn't it? So like the 13th or something. They just got... I assume that's a Friday. Cause I know, I was going to say, because it's like <gasps> either they got 31 the wrong way around thinking it was Halloween or it's got to be a Friday. Because <laughs> uh, you, don't, you don't go that close to Halloween unless it's Friday the 13th and not hit Halloween so um, uh, we'll uh, Monster Hunter World which uh, I, I know was playable at E3 but we didn't actually play it because I think it was just console stuff um, and I don't I'm not a Monster Hunter fan I've never played any of them but um, the people I spoke to who played at E3 were really really excited for it so I'm looking forward to seeing more of that Um yeah. There's some stuff, uh, uh, the Dishonored expansion, we'll get to play that. So that's the Definitely Outsider. Um, oh, yeah. and then there's some, like I say, some of the smaller stuff. Um, and it, I always want to qualify it when I say small. I don't mean that in any derogatory way. Um, I just mean literally in terms of team size. Um, the water tastes like wine, which I've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, oh, is there a, like an update on the release date for that? Because I know it's due this year, I but sus- as far as I could see, it hasn't been more I specific. think they'll probably announce a release date at Gamescom. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I think that's one of the things they'll, they'll be doing. Because what tends to happen is, obviously, we know they're there because we're going to see them, we're going to get to talk to them, we're going to get to play the game. Um, what um, they tend to do, studios, is they tend to try and make an announcement at the beginning of Gamescom so that people just kind of become aware that you're there. Because, you know, for, for me, this is part of my calendar, this is part of my work calendar, but for a lot of people, they're not even aware it's happening. So mm. they try and make an announcement usually on the Monday because Gamescom starts on the Tuesday. Uh, this is next week. Um, so a lot of um, people will be making announcements on the Monday just to try and get people's attention. And then later in the week, you know, hands-on, uh, previews will start coming out and interviews but you know you kind of um, put some seeds out so that people know that this stuff's coming uh, yeah what's it like for you Alice in terms of like whether it actually generates much in the way of useful or interesting news or is it mostly for people who are actually there and can then translate that into something else um, we get to write a lot of release date announcements which are <laughs> fairly easy that's fine 
<laughs> no, it's quite different. So um, E3 is a game show which I feel is probably best covered not in Los Angeles mm. uh, and definitely not from the show floor. Like the best way to cover the things coming out of E3 is sitting at a computer, watching on YouTube when you can rewind live streams. Mm. Um, the actual E3 show experience is mostly pointless. Well, I mean, I was going to say, like Adam said, mostly pointless. He didn't use those words. Uh, I will. <laughs> it's mostly pointless. Like, here, watch this video things. Um, and mostly it can be covered remotely fairly easily. Whereas Gamescom, yeah, like none of the announcements are major. No one's going to announce anything super huge or surprising. There won't be big things from Electronic Arts or Activision or all of the big fancy stuff. Proper games, uh, as I call them. <laughs> Adam says smaller. I say proper games. <laughs> um, but you know I get a fair stream of press releases and he gets to actually play games and then come tell us all about them so good good job Gamescom nice you can team up and you know you could you could send him off on missions or Brendan if that's who we're delegating to <laughs> and just sort of say look this sounded really interesting could you just squidge it into the schedule somehow well no I mean that that is like what you try and do like one of my favourite things about all of these shows uh, is that you, cause I, I'm only there for, uh, three nights. It's not a long trip. E3 is like a week. It's a full week because of all the press conferences that happen around it now. And also because it's, you know, there's a day of travel either side because it's the other side of the world. But, um, Cologne is like, I'll be, you know, in and out pretty much. You know, you, you land on the Monday, work Tuesday, Wednesday, and then leave Thursday evening. And, one of the things that you do is everyone will meet up um in the pubs in the evening all the journalists get together in pubs and oh, we Christ. You, well you know, you, the thing is here's the the secret of it is is that the, all this is why we don't invite alice but all the british journalists go to the same pub and you go to one that's quieter and you go with the people you actually you know want to have a conversation with and then you go and mop up when they're all absolutely sloshed and that's when you show up and then you just listen to all the things they're talking about and think, okay, that's the one I'll go and see tomorrow. Because all the little secrets come out. It's like, you know, you think, oh, you work for a rival publication and you've seen this great game that you want to keep to yourself, but you're so drunk, you're telling everyone how great it is. And then I'll be in there tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be there getting the real story. <laughs> Way to get yourself uninvited from everything before you even get there. <laughs> well, the thing, you don't have to be invited when you're crashing. <laughs> I suppose but so. No, it's, That's fair. But no, in seriousness, like, um, everyone gets together and people talk about the things they're excited about because we do, and that's the thing. Nobody really has that rivalry sensibility. You know, people do it for a big scoop, but Gamescom's not about that. It's about... Um, it is about people being excited about games, genuinely. So, uh, so there's always usually one or two games that you start hearing this buzz about that you've never heard of before and it's really exciting it's all it is genuinely really cool because there is a lot of cynicism um in the games industry especially from journalists a lot of time you know we're always burned out and we sometimes you just think nobody actually seems to enjoy this but but when somebody sees something they're like oh my god you have to see this thing you know, it's, it is really, it's great. It's a really nice feeling. Um, and that's one of the reasons I like doing it because it is, it's a very, very busy trip. Uh, and by the end of it, I always feel like I need a week off. Um, but, but I do. You've done all your scheduling the wrong way round. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I never, the, the, the thing is you can't take a, 
a week off afterwards because you need to do all the work that came from it as well. Uh, but yeah, but no, I'm really looking forward to it as I always do. Um, and did you take on my, did you heed my request that someone go and spy on that, uh, Fugal game about like the, the pixelated bird that's flying around places? No. <laughs> oh. I should have done. <laughs> You're going to be down the pub on the yeah, evening exactly. for Thursday. Someone's yeah. going to go, mate, let me tell you about this bird. Yeah. <laughs> And even if they don't, I'm going to text you and just, I won't stop going on about it until you go and check in. Gamescom was the place where I was I was in a hotel bar a few years ago and the developers of that, well, not the developers, I think they just did the translation of uh, How to Full Boyfriend, the pigeon dating oh, yeah. game. That was Mediatonic, wasn't it? Right, was it? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, they came in and they had... Um, like the the badges on the were wearing at the stand, and uh, and I was quite <laughs> drunk, and I just shouted across the bar, "It's the pigeon fanciers! It's the pigeon fanciers!" <laughs> and they just looked really worried. <laughs> See, you do this at like um, Gamescom and like E3 or whatever, and I'm just like I've usually gone back to the hotel room to like ostensibly to write stuff up, but actually to eat like cereal in the bath (laughs) 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 so if i'm networking i'm doing it very wrong (laughs) well i mean shouting pigeon fancies at people across a loud bar isn't i Mm. don't think that's traditionally called networking it's called haranguing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but you know at least you you know what you're doing you know where you yeah i know i know where i need to be <laughs> and if there's a karaoke opportunity you're in there oh yeah absolutely no i i don't actually enjoy karaoke but a lot of <laughs> a lot of game developers do so uh you tend to end up getting dragged to, and scandinavian game developers in particular seem to love it um and one in particular. One particular. <laughs> What's your karaoke song? What's your go-to? Um, it depends really on... So I have this horrible thing where um, especially people who aren't actually English find the idea that I would love every Manchester band. They just assume that I do. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so it can be anything from, you know, I'm just sitting there having a nice time and drinking my whiskey and suddenly it's like, oh, they want me to sing Wonderwall and they think that's actually a thing that I'll enjoy doing. Um, that's like the, the, the lowest point of karaoke. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, it's, um, it's a bit of black grape can do that that's all right um, <laughs> done joy division forum before but it is it's like basically i'm a, a dancing mancunian you know they put a coin in the slot and they're like do the manchester thing um <laughs> they want you to be bears don't they they do that's what they this do. is um uh, but, but but if i have a choice uh i'll either do a bit of pulp and it can be pretty much any pulp or uh, I'm a big fan of doing Piano Man if I'm absolutely smashed. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Alice, what's your current uh, yeah. flavour? Because I've heard you do um, Bat Out of Hell. Oh, All of it. Yep, I've done uh, <laughs> the full version of Bat Out of Hell. I've done the yep. full-length <laughs> version of Meatloaf's Paradise by the Dashboard Light as a duet. It's a cracker. <laughs> Uh, I went to a hen party over the weekend, which involved a lot of karaoke and also a seven-foot inflatable unicorn. Um, 
not to sit sing. I uh, sang a bit of Connor Maynard, Little Mix. Oh, um, good choice. Pat Benatar, bit of Sisters of Mercy. I don't know. Like, I've basically I've got a really good voice for 80s synth pop, and it's quite bad for everything else, but I'll give it a go. I just like the fact that you don't care if it's 14 full minutes with five, you know, different <laughs> guitar <laughs> solos. You will stand there and everyone will listen. <laughs> I, there's always the problem of, I mean, I don't know what it's like at games things, but how do you pitch songs to the right audience? So I've had things where I've gone in and sang a bit of Sugar Babes and then mm. the person after me is like, we're going to Blink 182. Uh, and then the next person follows on with like some limp biscuit and I'm like I've really one misjudged this karaoke audience to misjudge the kind of people that I'm out with tonight like what am I doing regrets (laughs) I think I just always I find that shares if I could turn back time is always a good like a good bet it doesn't really matter who anyone else is well, I also think that I just don't care for you if you don't. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to do what makes me happy and then goodbye. <laughs> I'm off to my cereal and my bath. Adam and I have been playing, well, I know Adam and I have been playing The Long Dark. Alice, have you been dipping in at all? Uh, I played The Long Dark for 20 minutes about two years ago, and I will probably never play it again. Interesting. Why? Well, this is going to get slightly break. I don't see the point in surviving for survival's sake. I don't find it interesting or desirable. Like, if the world Mm. ended, my goal would be to get very, very drunk and then die foolishly. That would be it, basically. I, I abs- like, I give myself 30 minutes in the post-apocalypse because I've no interest in living any longer. I completely sympathise with that, and I think it's a really... I, th- I genuinely think it's a really interesting question. It's like the... Um, and it's one of the things... Uh, I don't know if you remember me writing or talking about that game Frostpunk, which is the... I was literally yeah, just thinking like the, of that. The kind of... Um, elevator pitch for that game is a game, a survival game that's about why we survive, not just how. And it is absolutely an issue with games like The Long Dark. And I think The Long Dark is the best survival game I've ever played. I absolutely adore it. Um, but it does have that thing. I, I have a very, very, um, long-term save game on it. Uh, I've mentioned this in the podcast before. I think, um, it's either four or five months that it's up to now in game survival. Jesus. And, and it's, you get to that point and you're like, this is really quite bleak because I've figured out how to keep myself alive, but all that my, uh, long-term goal is like, at the end of every day, I just need to make sure I've got a bit more stuff so I can stay alive the next day and the next day. And there's no end to that. That just goes on until resources run out and you just die anyway. And well, that's the point at which people develop hobbies and careers. Well, exactly, like, yeah. I mean, and <laughs> you've got all of your basic hierarchy of needs, so then you can look slightly. It's yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is a point you can get to in most survival games. In the Long Dark's no exception to it, where you do have you've got to a point where it's like, okay, now I've got free time, and mm. what do you do with that free time? And you know, you you use it to try and kill time until you die, and. 
I wonder if it would be And in the game. <laughs> Woo! I wonder if it like it would be cool if like you could then start maybe spending some of that time on frivolous things like little snowball fights or building a snowman or you know just things that you wouldn't ordinarily do because they're too much of a cost in terms of the um the resources that they take up and the cold i always find it interesting the wear and tear on your clothes so in in the long dark the the icon for when you want to kill time rather than sleeping is a deck of cards which Mm. you know is the only implication of leisure anywhere in that game it's like playing solitaire but you never pick up a deck of cards no no you just it's just yeah it's just an icon but yeah but like i like to imagine that you are just playing solitaire but then it reminds me of another game which is project zomboid uh Mm. and in project zomboid you can find like crossword puzzles and stuff and you can use uh, and and I think cards and stuff and you can use them and it raises your mood slightly rather than just sitting around doing nothing um, mm. and I always thought it'd be really nice if when you did that you actually got to play cards like the games were in the game mm. so like when you're Kern Town you actually have to play the little game in the game uh, and then it's, this is how you get Gwent this <laughs> is how you get Gwent yeah yeah like um, yeah and um, see Gwent Ooh. actually Gwent is more of a game journal canon game than The Witcher 3 I think because it's that thing yeah. where you talk to so many game journalists that are like, you know, yeah, I played a lot of Gwent, but wasn't really into The Witcher. And it's like, uh You have the best conversations. Yeah. This is all just, this, this is, is gold. This is, <laughs> Tune in for more coverage. This is my life. <laughs> oh my God. This is why I'm always drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for a while, a couple of years back, I was trying to complete a deck of cards from cards I found on the pavement. Uh, I gave up because eventually it was just too disgusting. Um, wow. I don't know if you know, but things you find on the pavement, especially paper, often quite unpleasant. But like, there's a lot of playing cards for reasons unknown just lying around in gutters and on pavements. You know, maybe you can do that in games. Just, oh, fantastic. I found my seventh three of clubs. What am I going to do with this? <laughs> I wonder, because, you know, you can sometimes pick up little knickknacks and things. Like in, um, you know, in uh, in things like Fallout series, you know, when you go through a, a radioactive zombie's pockets and they've picked up, like, fluff and some pennies and, <laughs> you know, uh, like, that kind of stuff is kind of interesting, although it tends to end up as random rather than... It's just junk a lot of time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, or just stuff that you might collect for a novelty for a while, but it it ultimately doesn't do much in the story sense or the world building sense, I had a, exactly. I had, like, a thing like the, again going back to the idea of why am i doing this in the long dark i was thinking I, I really like the idea of a generational survival game so that like you know if you actually find a shelter and then you expand it and make it safer then when you die somebody else mm. at your next play your next character can stumble across that same shelter um yeah. and to the extent that you could actually um leave um knowledge behind as well like you could write a diary or a book that they could find which tells them about the things you've learned or draw maps actually create in-game maps you know (laughs) and um and like that's kind of where i've got with the long diet now where i'm like i i don't want to just start again ever because um it feels like i'd just be repeating so much of what i've already done 
Um, mm. but at the same time, I'm kind of bored with the character that I'm using. But that, that brings me to story mode because I've been playing Wintermute, the, the story mode, um, which, which I'm enjoying, but it's a very, very different way to play it. And I certainly don't like it as much as a sandbox mode. Um, mm. because it is very, uh, guided. Um, it has some irritations for me in that. So, uh, structurally, um, your, your plane's crashed. You're looking for somebody else who's on the plane, uh, and you meet uh, an NPC quite early on, uh, and, uh, she'll ask you for help doing certain things. And, uh, and I think it's, I think it's fine. I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. I'll finish it. But, but, uh, I got really annoyed at one point because it does one of the things that I hate it when games do this where I'd gone exploring. Um, and mm. found some stuff and then I went back talked to her and she was like oh I wish you could go and check out this tunnel because I want to know what's happened there it's like I literally just came <laughs> back from there I just came yeah. back and my character doesn't acknowledge that he's been there already because he wasn't supposed to have been there yet and it's like it is uh... still kind of a sandbox game you know um, so having it so strictly guided just does break the illusion of it quite quite dramatically I think how far through did you? Uh, how far through are you? Because there are two episodes out so far, and I'm towards the end of episode two. I think you're less far. Yeah, through. much less far. Yeah, I've not finished episode one yet. So, um, you you'll know what I mean by the tunnel bit, right? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So I've just I've just done the tunnel bit, and now I can't remember what she's asked me to do next. But uh, but presumably the whole thing is that you're kind of uh, squirreled away in one section of the map, so you can't just go and wander everywhere. And I feel like the end of episode one is going to involve leaving this part of the map. And I've already kind of figured out how that's going to happen. And that's the other thing is, she's going to tell me how I'm going to get out of this part <laughs> of the map. It's like, yeah, I kind of figured, you know. Uh, yeah. And, and, and like I say, I'm not saying this is a major problem, but because I've played so much of the game already, it's it's kind of frustrating that it's just drip feeding me stuff that I already know. Because it does feel a bit like a tutorial. Well, it's it's a tutorial married to a bunch of fetch quests. Yeah. And that has felt, certainly in what I've been playing, every mission within that has felt like the least interesting way to do a thing. And I've had some really interesting experiences, but they've mostly been, despite the game, certainly in story mode rather than mm. because of it and um i guess the the way i've been thinking of it is they're clearly trying to set up a framework where you can have these experiences because perhaps you know you would run into a shortage of particular resources or it's just a bit difficult so you spend a while actually doing a thing and maybe you have a sense of achievement off the back of that but I think that that is such a sort of slim, sweet spot that only a few people will fall into. And most people will end up either on the, I'm a bit bored and frustrated and things are taking longer than they should. And I've sort of forgotten bits of the story and it's not interesting enough to support what I'm doing moment to moment, even if I'm interested in overall why there is an Aurora, why mm. there is, you know, all of this other stuff um, that is talked about certainly from the kickstarter um and then there's going to be the other tranche of people that have played the sandbox to death and can just get to the end of it in a couple of hours and are like well 
now what? Yeah. Or, you know, they, they don't get why they were being told in the, like, halfway through the second episode, they're teaching you how to find mushrooms. Yeah, and yeah. Like, are you actually kidding me? I think, I think <laughs> one of the other issues in terms of the actual story is that I'm, I'm really interested in the Aurora stuff and I'm interested in what's happened. I, I have to say, mm. I love the term, the quiet apocalypse, which they use. I think it's such a nice phrase. Um, mm. and such a kind of, um, uh, oppositional phrase to so many computer game apocalypses, which are very loud. Um, <laughs> and, but I don't find the character interesting at all. Um, I just don't really care about him. Uh, and mm. it kind of works in the, okay, he's a tabula rasa and it doesn't really matter because I'm just going through and doing my own thing. But, but he does have his own motivation for things. And I just, I just don't find him that interesting. Um, I, and none of the people that you bump into feel fleshed out either. Like the one that you're talking to a lot at the moment, I didn't find any of her stories to be particularly meaty or satisfying. They were just, you know, kind of tropey things that you could hang those quests that she sends you on yeah, around. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, like, I feel... I, like, I, I don't want to be saying that stuff because I also think that Hinterland have created an absolutely beautiful world with a real sense of chill and, um, like, the actual times of day and the weather yeah. and no, the idea that you can just step outside into a blizzard and suddenly lose your bearings entirely and that be just so disastrous for you and your survival journey could just end right there. I, I think, think all of those things are amazing. Yeah, all of everything that I'm saying is is it's two things. One, it's in relation to the really high standards I think that the sandbox mode's already set. Uh, and secondly, it's none of this detracts from the sandbox mode. Um, mm. It You know, it's it's an extra thing that isn't necessary that isn't if i was going to be um very critical of it i'd say i feel it's a shame that they've spent so much time on it because i don't know if it's going to actually have that much appeal i can see why they thought people might want a story mode but i feel like the um the actual um the 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 amount of time resources that it's probably cost to make uh, and what you get at the end of it, I'm not sure it was the best place to spend the, that time resources, which is a horrible thing to hear, I know. Um, but, and like I say, I don't think it detracts from the rest of it. Um, but I just don't think it's a, the most interesting way to play that game. And, and I can't imagine many people will. That's, that's the thing. Um, I don't know who it's really going to be for. Uh, but I hope it gets it a bigger audience because I think the game is, you know, it's one of my favorite games of this year, without a doubt. Uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. And I think that one of the things that I think is a real shame is, uh, in, in the story mode, I really love going back into the town, uh, it's called Milton. And that's, it's a great setting as well. Um, going back in mm. there and seeing a building with lights on, because you never see that in sandbox because you're, you're the last person in the world, as far as you know, in sandbox. Uh, mm. and just seeing a building that's lit at night is such a, it, it, it all ties back into how well they've created the sense of isolation, the sense of cold, uh, and the fear of it. And when you see that, it just feels like this beacon and it feels like hope and it's, it's great. But again, there's, a, there's a problem with that is that, uh, what you, you, you said that 
the one of the things you like about it is is that thing of if you make a mistake, if you go out at the wrong time of day, if you take a wrong turn, if you get too cocky, then you can end up dead or you can end up mm. severely injured. There's no sense that the this other person that you meet in the story mode is ever going to be threatened or in danger. Even though you're doing jobs to help her and to keep her alive, she's static. She's just a, a thing on the map that you essentially she's just mm. like a, a coal chute that you feed coal into you know it's a place that you put resources into a resource bin um and there's no sense of threat and I, I just thought how amazing it'd be if you know you went out and a blizzard came down and you're like if i don't get home then you know because i can sleep outside i can find somewhere else to shelter but if i don't get back mm. to that house in the next 12 hours the person in there is going to die because they need me and it doesn't have that because because it is static, yeah. you know. There's no sense of her being actually endangered. Uh, I think that's what it needed. I think it needed some sense of consequence. But oh, I think it, like it. I think because of the way that the world is actually quite open in terms of wh- how you experience it in sandbox, and you could sort of potter around and do things and discover things at your own pace. Mm. Then coming to the story mode where it's so didactic and so no you follow this path otherwise it's you know you're wasting your time i think i would have been a lot happier if the game was able to respond to those decisions that you make for yourself like if you decide that you don't want to help this person or if you get lost in a blizzard around that area or something and then you know she dies but then you still have enough at your disposal that you could painstakingly put together your exit strategy anyway you know like there was enough lying around it's just that she's kind of a shortcut because she has information um and i i think that essentially i just think that they needed to find different and more compelling ways to to point you in directions and make those an interesting sort of experience that you can then build the survival stuff around rather than just having it be a kind of we'll go over here and it's kind of far so it's going to be difficult because you'll have to make some choices about which resources you bring but that's about as much pressure as it puts you under and just hoping that that will generate some interesting stories um having said that the aurora is so beautiful like i have stood in the in the um in the wilderness freezing to death slowly because i've turned the um ui off (laughs) because i'm like no don't need any of those warnings it's pretty um and then i got mauled by a wolf so (laughs) all good Alice, what have you been playing while we've been trying to survive some imaginary wilderness? Like, what what have you been up to? Well, I've also been trying to survive an imaginary wilderness, <laughs> but have most you? well. Uh, the problem in my wilderness is that there's 99 other people trying to shoot my face off because <laughs> I'm, I don't know, I'm just playing a load of Battlegrounds still. It's great. It's, sorry, Plunk Bat, got to use the proper name, branding. Um, <laughs> it's fantastic. I love it. It's still great. It's a good video game. Also, on the subject of weather conditions, it does have, it's got like a, the default weather scheme is quite boring. It's just daytime. 
but it has a really nice rainy day mm, I've with seen that. just big thick clouds and um, torrential rain, which is really good because it's a game where environmental awareness by and large gets you further than killing people. Like being able to shoot people is really helpful, but being able to avoid them generally is even better unless you're really, really good at shooting faces, which the people I play with and also myself are not necessarily that great at. (laughs) Um, But in this rainy map, the rain is so heavy that you can't hear footsteps, which is really nice. Um, And it's a great mood. And it's got a lovely sunset map as well. Like the sun is just a bit over the horizon and this beautiful peach pink light filters through everything. Does that change what you can see, like if it's low light as well? No, sadly not. It would be nice if the really bright daylight had the thing where, you know, you try to look into a dark place and you can't see properly. Yeah. you see lots of sunlight glinting off scopes or something. Sunlight glinting off scopes would actually be amazing because snipers are (laughs) Sorry, language. Flap face, uh, flip faces. (laughs) Snipers are flip faces. I can say that. Good. Yes. Snipers um, have flip phones. They do. They're so behind the times. Sick Actually, that is quite apt for plunk bat, you know, where the high tier rare gear makes you dress like you're in the Matrix, where everyone does have flip phones. <laughs> God, the fashion in that game is awful. I'm s- I still get really annoyed by it. <laughs> so hang on, hang on. So if you are back playing it, does that mean that it has sorted out that lag problem that the oh, patch introduced? Oh, yeah, that was really brief. Yeah, that they was like fixed one day really where quick. it was unplayable. Ah, uh, okay. Because I remember I just caught the tail end of a conversation when you were like, well, I will be back in that when they fix blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and then five hours later, I was like, this is fantastic, lads, let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it lets you get in the lads, lads, lads mobile. And I'm like, oh, for goodness sake. Pip, since then, they have added honking. I know. most of, well, the bikes don't have horns and the dune buggy doesn't have horns, but the Jeep and the family car have horns and it's the most wonderful thing in the world. I adore them. You and family-friendly language just ain't happening, is it? What did I say? (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even... mm. Oh, well. Uh, I think maybe we just <laughs> call this one a wash. But yeah, no, that sounds... Like, are you still having fun? I mean, I'm assuming so, but like, what is it that keeps you coming back again and again? So it's a combination of it's a game lots of my friends are playing, so it's nice to hang out with people, especially now I live far away from lots of people. Mm. So that's nice. Um, also, it's just great. Like, I'm still... Every time I play, I encounter a new situation and a new scenario and something where I need to think on my feet. Um, And like, you can get fairly confident in certain things and think at this point of this game, we should be doing this. Um, You look at the map and where the danger zones are and think, okay, we'll move there, we'll go through there. And then a couple of minutes later, you find yourselves in a really intense firefights where 20 people are squeezed into about 20 square meters somehow and you can't figure out how this works and where everyone (laughs) is 
Um, <laughs> and then you try to get really clever and like log grenades through windows and they bounce off walls and you end up blowing your feet off and then your mate runs through the door and shoots you in the face by accident in the confusion. It's fantastic. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Sorry, Adam, you was, you, were you about to say I, something I was just saying well? that the other thing I've been playing this week is another weather game. Yeah, No Man's Sky, which has some uh, great weather, but also some weather that really annoys me. Um, and the stuff that I really like is when um, you, you're you on a planet and it's incredibly hostile um, in terms of its climate or its atmosphere. And you can see that and it feels like it is. It has a proper visual sense of it. But then I was on a planet uh, just at lunchtime and that had just basically a sizzling noise the whole time I was outside. And <laughs> like green clouds came off me. Uh, so it was toxic. <laughs> but it just looked so beautiful and clean and lovely and the thing is that's fine obviously you know that could be the case you know it's not always gonna be the the, the weather fits the the colors of the planet it doesn't have to be a big green toxic planet to be a toxic planet but it really annoyed me because i was just like but it looks so nice and i don't really understand why i'm getting hurt there was no kind of visual feedback to it just a sizzling noise i don't even know what was supposed to be happening to me but <laughs> there was no rain or anything i was just literally on fire the whole time i was outside i think um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I but I haven't played it for for I mean it came out what a year ago was it or was it longer um, but but I haven't it was about a year ago was it, yeah actually. yeah so it's yeah, been pretty much a year ago it's probably been like ten now. months since I played it uh, and I played it a heck of a lot when it first came out and then just dropped it pretty quickly and I've really missed it uh, I'm really enjoying it again and uh, and I think I'll probably burn out on it quite quickly again well, I say quite quickly I played it for like forty fifty hours when I first got it. Um, but I don't know if I'll still be playing it another two months, but I'm really enjoying uh, being back in it. Um, and I don't know if I've seen very much that's new, but a lot of the stuff I'm seeing is certainly new to me since I first played it. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, I, I think it is, you know, it's, it's a good game. No Man's Sky. <laughs> it's a good game. <laughs> it's got loads. Well, you know how I feel about it. I still play it. And I yeah, really like, I mean, you know, the the creatures I find and the things that I do. I have fun. <laughs> the issue with it that I get bored of doing the stuff I need to do to do the things that I enjoy doing. Uh, and So I don't particularly like any of the mining stuff. I find it really dull. Um, yeah, it just, for sure. Yeah, it just doesn't. It doesn't have the. I don't like the again the visual feedback from it. I find really boring. Just like pointing a little thing at something and it just goes zzz, and then the health bar goes down. And it goes pop. It's just not very exciting. Um, and yeah, just kind of stumbling around because you need to find a thing rather than because you want to explore. It just isn't really my idea of fun. But uh, because I'm an idiot, so whenever I say things like this, I'll always contradict myself. Uh, I enjoy survival mode, um, which mm. just means you have to do all of that stuff much more. But the reason I quite enjoy that is because it feels like there's a purpose to it. It's like, I need to collect plutonium because otherwise I will die within minutes. Whereas in the normal mode, I, I never need to collect something because I'll dive in minutes. I need to collect it because I'm trying to upgrade the next thing. And, you know, so it's kind of a treadmill um, in the normal mode, whereas in survival mode, it's a treadmill that has like spikes behind it, you know? Um, and that just gives me the little 
bit of incentive I need to be more interested. But having said that, I've never, ever, and this is so pathetic, I've never managed to leave a planet on survival mode. <laughs> I don't, have, you, have either of you tried it? I haven't because I like survival mode is what I'm not interested in yeah. with regard to that game. Like I'm far more likely to go into full easy peasy sandbox mode and just hop from planet right, to planet right. taking pictures of things I like. Um, I think I told you that I did boot it up with the intention of engaging with the story and trying to, you know, play like a, like a, like I thought perhaps more people were playing mm. and I just ended up doing my usual thing. I think there is a way that I like to play that game and I don't really fancy moving outside that, which is interesting because in, in some ways uh, Subnautica is a, a lot like it. And yes, I'm happy to build a base in Subnautica, mm. but I think that it's because in Subnautica that feels like, you know, the, the sea is a, big place in that game but it is still just a finite area ultimately and i can find a space within that that i'm happier to to settle in and that i think is you know optimal for whatever reason um in that particular playthrough whereas in no man's sky i just the idea of putting down roots when i just want to see more planets is just it feels like the weirdest most counterintuitive thing and i kind of i just don't have the right mentality because the game is so much about or the the space that it it provides is so much to me about this endless exploration and these what is it quintillion squillion billion mm. you know planets I think th- and that, so that that yeah. goes to the appeal of survival mode for me where it's like all i want to do is explore more planets but survival mode means I'm not overfaced because at most I might see two or three. Um, and that, that to me is actually more exciting because it's, it's the difference between getting the spaceship powered up for the first time being like, okay, once I get the, the fuel for the FTL drive or whatever they call it, I can now pretty much go anywhere. The whole universe is my oyster. And once that's the case, I'm like, so why go anywhere? Whereas on the survival mode, it's like, you're basically limping from place to place. So every single place you have to extract the maximum uh, amount of not just resources, but of, of entertainment from it. It's like, I am going to be stuck here for a while. So I need to learn how to live here for a little bit. Um, and I, I really, I do enjoy that, but I think it's too hard still. Like, um, you know, you, uh, mm. uh, like I say, I've not managed to get off a planet because it starts off the same way the normal game starts. Your ship's broken, but in survival mode, you're not actually at your ship even. Uh, you're like separated from it. You have to make your way back to it. And uh, on like a fairly regular hostile planet, I think you're always on a hostile planet in survival mode to start with. So it'll be heat or toxicity or radiation or something will kill you. And you can only be on the surface about three minutes before you're dead. So you really have to kind of go from cave to cave and from building to building and really plan your route to be able to get back to your ship. Um, and it's it's tough, but but I, but it does appeal to me that. I've realised that without Brendan to chivvy us along, we've managed to actually like 
spend what our usual podcast allotment time is for the the two sections rather than more so shall we shall we roll on to questions because i think that would probably provide a neat bookend because i think did you ask about what people's sort of survival experience or were you talking about gamescom what did we ask i I asked about (laughs) gamescom but then i just did a new one like five minutes ago and said the conversation center weather so what's your favorite weather in a game uh because i thought that was quite a nice one Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you want to read through some of those responses then? That would be okay, awesome. Okay, so uh, some people have just been very, very mean to me because I just said favourite weather. So some people are just literally like, I like rain. I'm like, I meant in a game. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, Dan Waite, this is all on Twitter. It's a DNKW, uh, goes to the Long Darks Blizzards, which, you know, I think we'd both agree with. And so would Alice if she would play the Long Dark for more than five minutes. <laughs> if, if there was any any reason to, <laughs> uh, Sylvan, who is no name six four six four, says snowfall in general for a specific game. I go with the long dark, um, and then some of the ones that uh, I picked that caught my eye, I guess, because I'm like, oh yeah, of course, um, a sleepy man, which is at made of squares, says Mad Max sandstorms. Uh, maybe not technically weather, but the oh, oh, sorry, and maybe not technically weather, but the snow blowing off mountains in Skyrim always gave me a shiver. But the Mad Max sandstorms, my god, they're good. Um, I, I, Mad Max is one of those games that I think is we we actually had an article about this, but the best seven out of ten games, and we put it in there, and it is one of my favorite games in a weird kind of way from the last few years because it's so basic in some ways like uh, not in terms of the way it's crafted it's it's really really well made but it is just repetitive and it has that kind of triple a game here's the gameplay loop and you're going to do it over and over again but it's just really really well constructed i think and the sandstorms look amazing in it if you've seen uh, fury road it's that bit um when they go into the <laughs> sandstorm but in a game why if I've opened up some of the responses and I think Alice will be pleased to know that Ed Key uh, has noted that his current favourite is the rain in Battlegrounds. Yeah, oh, I was going to see if anyone had mentioned it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And there's also um, another one that appeals to you, I think, which is from Bertine van Hovel, which says uh, Bath- uh, Blade Runner's Rain, which you made a whole video of, didn't you? <laughs> Good, say, everyone has correct opinions this week. Good job, everyone. <laughs> they say, I swear, despite its pixely mess, it's one of the few rains that made me feel soaked and uncomfortable. Mm. There's there's a few people saying Witcher Three storms, which are very good. Witcher Three has really good sky boxes or just skies, uh, and they <laughs> change really well when it when there's a storm coming, and they do look really really impressive. The Witcher Three has really good mud as well. It just actually feels dirty and muddy uh, in a way that it you know muddy places often don't in games. It just doesn't feel like a texture. It feels like slop. <laughs> That's cool. I wonder if um, if the weather changes in the long dark for narrative reasons, because they've hinted that it might or that it mm. that it probably will. Um, then I wonder how they're going to do slush. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because there's such of... a vileness to slush, and the the snow gets so dirtied and so kind of like really wet, cold, and grim. It's like the the horrible aftermath of a white Christmas. The the reality. <laughs> the bit when you check your credit card bills after a white Christmas. Slush. 
Um, the in terms of scripted weather, because I think all of those are dynamic. I mean, I know the battlegrounds one is like a, it's kind of loaded up as you go into the level, but um, the cornfield bit from Left for Dead Two says Ethan Zugai, uh, <laughs> which is great. Like, um, uh, that's just like a classic horror movie bit, which uh, is very well done. Um, and another dynamic one, but Toaster's T2 Toaster says Zone Storms in Stalker. Yes, please. Anything, anything mm. Stalker. But that's like, you know, um, actual, uh, paranormal weather, you know, unless so, um, which is, which is really good fun. There should be more stuff like that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying they should put anomalies into the long dark, but I wouldn't object to it. <laughs> I like this next one, um, which is Call Me Arcturus saying, when the weather in Final Fantasy fourteen shifts and a sunny day slowly fills with sunlit fog before the rain sets in. And I really like that sort of when games transition well yeah. from one type of weather to another and it's distinct and you sort of have a sense of that being a system that is coherent absolutely um, yeah. and uh. understands itself rather than just suddenly you know the heavens open even though that that can actually happen in real life yeah yeah but it's like when it, it doesn't feel like a toggles has been flipped it's like it's actually weather movements you know well it's like when people get that golden hour you know that sort of dusk or that dawn right yeah you know oh actually somebody's somebody just this second rusty one two said storms with a chance of deadly phone calls in my summer car i don't understand what that means because i've not played my summer car so i don't know why it's got a chance of deadly phone calls but uh but he says you can see the storm system coming a long ways off and it moves realistically that's that's very appealing to me because uh, you don't often see that, you know, like, um, where, you know, weather is actually a movable thing. I, I'll very quickly mention something which is not impressive visual weather, uh, and you can all throw rotten fruit at me or something because you might be bored by this, but I'll be very quick. But, um, when I was, uh, talking to Sports Interactive about Football Manager a couple of years ago, I found out that on the f- Football Manager team, they have one dedicated person who creates all the meteorological effects in the game. So <laughs> y- you can see them visually, but basically with, for every stadium in the world, every ground that you can play at in the world, they measure where it is in the world, its altitude, uh, and then they actually map climate systems. So rather than it just being it generates what the weather's like on the day of a game, you can actually see that weather systems move through the world realistically. So, oh, wow. so yeah, if you play a game in Chile on a weekend and it's uh, you know the weather's a certain way, and then you play one just down the coast a week later, you might see the same weather system moving through, and it is all actually modelled. Which I thought was amazing. Have uh, like I I don't know about the regional weather, but it'd be magic if uh, Hibernian FC they capture the Edinburgh weather of within ninety minutes. Like you go through three rainstorms, uh, heat stroke, and a bit of snow. I mean, I I don't know how uh, they how close they do weather changing in game. It does sometimes start to rain like as a game goes on, which is really nice, but. But yeah, I don't think they can be as changeable quite as a uh, as your local your local systems. Hmm, that's really interesting. Before we wrap up, Alice, do you have any fave fave weathers? I know that we've mentioned a couple of the ones that you like, but did we miss any key 
key things. Um, to go back to The Witcher, more specifically the first Witcher, one thing I did always really like in that game um, is when it started to rain, all of the NPCs would run to be under the cover of a building. Mm. That was oh, nice. that's cool. Like it actually yeah. felt, it had the progression of rain in that it would start and people would go, oh, Jesus, and kind of bolt it to awnings and things. Is there always that's really nice. one NPC who's just like, it's only a bit of water, it doesn't bother me, it just doesn't run shelter. Oh, I wish. No, instead <laughs> you end up with like... 20 people trying to squeeze under the awning of one shack and it gets a bit silly but it's nice <laughs> everyone in gta has a brolly they always get their little brollies out in gta which are- mate two words deadly premonition oh, oh. we should every podcast should end with deadly premonition mm. it's lovely like so the rain um well the rain makes the sky Oh, this gets complicated. <laughs> on a simple level, on a rainy day, all of the shops close, um, which is quite pleasant. That's good. <laughs> um, but also there's like hell rain, I guess. Mm. Um, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Basically, if you haven't played De- <laughs> Deadly Premonition, play Deadly Premonition, then phone me up and we can talk about it. It's the best game, also the worst game, but play Deadly Premonition. Yeah, that sh- that's basically our stance, though, isn't it? Like, just generally, yeah. our default yeah, stance is, why aren't you playing Deadly Premonition right be. now? <laughs> right, well, I think that is about all we've got time for this week. But if you would like to write in and tell us about your favourite weather systems, about what you're looking forward to at Gamescom, about comfort games, about anything that we have talked about on the podcast, or if there is anything that you would like us to talk about or discuss in detail, we are podcast at rockpapershotgun.com. You can find our website, rockpapershotgun.com. You can also find us on various social medias. We are pretty much always at rockpapershot in some capacity because of character restrictions and the like. Um, you can talk to us as individuals and follow our output. Mine is usually insect photos. Uh, I am at Philippa War which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. Adam, who are you? I am uh, non-economical on Twitter. That's N-O-N-E-C-O-N-O-M-I-C-A-L. And Alice, is there a Twitter account you would like to push or would you like to recommend a thing worth following that isn't you, if you would not like to? Uh, follow my readme file my mod readme file blog on tumblr it is readme.text.tumblr.com and the dots and the text are d-o-t-t-x-t it's good excellent we'll put a link I think in the uh, in the thing so people can find that there's a there's a statue of Adam Smith in the middle of Edinburgh and every time me and Cara passed it uh, we like to think it's you it's quite nice Adam well, I'm uh, very pleased to hear that. That It's not me, I have to tell you that. I hope this doesn't upset you too much, but that was not based on me. We've taken some really good photos of us like posing with the statue, but we've never got around to sending them to you because it seems frivolous. It is frivolous. I, I, I demand that it stops immediately. <laughs> no, no I, 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 I like it, but I do think this... Uh, it is it is a different Adam Smith and 
I just don't think he should be the one getting all this attention, so... Oh, no, 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 this isn't, like, the... Yeah, this isn't, like, the Adam Smith on the, like, the £10 note talking about the division of labour in manufacturing Oh, it is actually me. Yeah, no, this one says, like, 7 out of 10. Oh, right, okay. the inscription. (laughs) That does sound like me. (laughs) And if you would like to support our frivolity further, um, it would be amazing if you could drop us a review on, I think iTunes is still the best place for that. We would be very pleased with you on that front. I think that is absolutely everything. And we should probably go and brainstorm the lies that we will be spreading at this year's Gamescom for our fellow journalists. So without much more ado, we should uh, sign off. So, bye! Bye! See you on the cybernet. <laughs> God! It's <laughs> my catchphrase, isn't it? total eclipse anymore since uh several years ago i broke my own nose dancing to total eclipse of the hearts and i'm just i'm I'm wary of it ever since (laughs) you were throwing too many shapes i was throwing shapes and i kneed myself in the face and started pouring (laughs) blood over the dance floor